good to see you here this morning, and it's uh, good to be here. It's been kind of a journey for me. I've had a chance to be away for the week in Chicago with denomination duties, but glad to be back. Glad to, uh, to be back. Flew back and got home around midnight last night and was just hoping I didn't catch anything along the way. Her incubation period for this new thing is like 14 days, so I don't totally know, but I, I don't know. I don't know why I mentioned all that. I didn't mean to be scary this morning. My name's Ted. I'm the lead pastor here at Access. Welcome on this Sunday morning. Welcome on a Super Bowl Sunday. Um, glad you're here. Um, so this is interesting. This weekend, uh, we're in between series. So we just finished uh, launching our uh, theme for 2020, which is New Humanity. So we wrapped up that series, and next week, we continue with a series that we did last year called A Church That Unites Diverse People. So we'll be talking about that um, uh, for several months, going through the second half of the book of Acts. But for today, we get to do something unique, and that is, uh, that means free topic for me, I get a... you know, pastor's choice, I get to speak on a topic that's near and dear to my heart. We're going to be talking about spiritual practices. This is a topic that I like to talk about near the beginning of every uh, calendar year because it's so relevant to how we live our lives with God. Spiritual practices is not about being perfect. It is about practicing a life with God. And so we'll go through the different details of that today. So first, we're going to go through the the kind of philosophy and theology behind that, talk about three passages of scripture, and then we're going to move into some things that we can talk about um, how we practice uh, spiritual disciplines, as you might call them, today. How do we do this and how can we get into some rhythms that are healthy for us? And to help us do that, I surveyed a few of my Covenant colleagues uh, before getting into this, and we'll hear from their voices uh, as we move into the second half and practice this practically. And then we're going to conclude with the Lord's Table, which is very much a practice for our community as we remember our identity in Christ, who we are, who we belong to, and what Jesus has said about us. So if you would join me in prayer, let's pray and give this time to the Lord. God, we invite you again into this moment as we come into this study of your word, of spiritual practice, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would just move in our hearts, in our our minds, help us to live more fully after you. We want to listen intently for your voice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're going to look at three passages, like I said today, and so the first one comes from the book of Daniel. Um, Daniel is uh, an old, was an Old Testament prophet, and he lived during an unusual time in the history of his people. So uh, the people of God were disobedient to God, and so he let them, allowed them after many, many, many years of warnings to be conquered by a foreign nation. The foreign nation came conquered Israel and took away some of their brightest and best as they perceived them. So Daniel was one of those uh, kids who belonged to the nation of Israel, was part of the people of God, but grew up in a culture that was very hostile to his faith, that wanted to destroy his faith, wanted to destroy him. And so he constantly lived with this tension of trying to follow God, but also with 
people who would try to undermine his ways. As he grew up in uh, stature and in wisdom, as he grew in kind of his authority, as God blessed him, so did the resistance against him. So did the enemies that were around him, to the point that some people wanted to destroy him, like kill him, who actually crafted laws that he couldn't obey, knowing that he couldn't obey, that he would have to pay for with his life. So we're going to pick up the story, and uh, this is going to give us some insight into where spiritual practices come from and why they're important. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king, this is the foreign king, should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room, where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. I love this passage and I love the boldness and the courage that Daniel displayed. Uh, he didn't really care, I guess, or I'm sure he cared a little bit, uh, that these governors and satraps and advisors all had it in for him. They wanted to destroy him and put him in the lion's den, which would mean certain death. But that wasn't going to stop him because he had always been praying to God and he was going to continue to pray to God. And so he went upstairs and he prayed to God. When I read this, when I first came to faith as a, a high schooler, I remember thinking, man, what bold faith. I would love to have such bold and amazing courage to be able to follow God no matter what, you know? Have you ever been challenged with that kind of a message? Um, I think we can all be challenged with a bit of more boldness in our faith and to follow God, especially in times when there is a world that wants to squelch our faith in many ways. But as I've kind of meditated on this, these verses over the years, I've thought a little bit more about Daniel's life, and when I've thought about spiritual practices, I've come to a different conclusion about what's been going on. I've used to think, I used to think that for Daniel to pray required a tremendous amount of courage, and courage was the answer. Yes, I need courage so that I can be bold for God, for Jesus, for the way in which um, God has asked me to live. But what we see in this passage is really something unusual, I think. I think prayer is what actually gave Daniel courage in the first place. Three times a day, it says, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. You see, this wasn't a new way for him. This was his normal way. He had been doing this all along. He had been living this way with God. And so the courage came just as a natural outflow because he had been doing this for many, many 
years. When I deal with my own busyness, um, sometimes I get up in the mornings, and the first thing I want to do is, you know, check emails, I get down to breakfast, and I'm already kind of in that mode. I've done that for many years, and just thinking, okay, I got a lot to do today, so I just, the faster I get to work, the faster I can get it done. You ever been there yourself? Busyness rules my spirituality. But what Daniel models for us in his spiritual practice is that his spirituality wasn't ruled by his busyness. His busyness was guided, was conquered through his life of prayer. And I think his life of courage came because he prayed three times a day. No matter how busy he was as a leader in this foreign nation with people always asking for his attention, asking for his decision making, asking for his completion on jobs and duties, he still went three times a day to his room to pray to God. And even when people wanted to destroy him, he did the same thing. This is where we learn about rhythms. Now, one of the things that the historic church has always been good with, and which our contemporary church is not so good with, is the whole idea of spiritual practice. Or you may have heard of them called spiritual disciplines. Um, so this is a criticism that not only I am laying with our, you know, our contemporary setting, but many spiritual authors and writers and theologians have lamented the fact that our church is weaker these days because we have not had the same amount of disciplines and practices that the historic church has had for centuries. Uh, so I have a couple of quotes here. So Dallas Willard is one of those who's written a lot about this topic, and he writes this to define what practices or disciplines are. They are activities that we engage in that are within our power and enable us to do what we cannot do by direct effort. Because in this way, we meet the action of God, which is grace, with us. And the outcome is humanly inexplicable. That is what it means to speak of discipline as a means to grace. They are required in every area of life, including the spiritual. So, to give you an example, if you wanted all of a sudden, that, like, to speak, I don't know, Japanese or German or Chinese, like in my case, um, like this afternoon, I, I couldn't do it. Um, and many of you couldn't do it uh, because it takes practice. It takes learning and discipline. You need to exercise your mind and move your lips in new ways and articulate new sounds. It takes years to learn a new language. You can't just pick it up and do it right away. And the same goes with musical instruments. Learning to play an instrument, you just can't just pick up a guitar today and hope to be proficient by tomorrow. Um, it takes skill, it takes practice, it takes a disciplined approach. Uh, another definition here, John Ortberg is another spiritual writer, um, kind of like an N.T. Wright distilled for um, <laughs> normal people. Um, he writes, a spiritual discipline is any activity that can help me gain power to live life as Jesus taught and modeled it. It's an activity that can help me gain power. And I really like this definition because many of us think like when it comes to disciplines or practices, we're kind of 
into this boring routine. Or, you know, a lot of the modern church is discarded with these kind of thoughts because we don't like tradition or traditions are boring or traditions are meaningless. But in a sense, he helps us regain this picture of what they really did for people throughout the centuries. It helped them to gain power. And in Daniel's case, it helped him to live a life of courage. All right, moving on to passage number two. Where else do they come from and why are they important? Uh, This comes from the New Testament from the book of Mark, and this is the life of Jesus. Now, Jesus lived an amazing and incredible life, and when he began his public ministry, he was called by many, many people to continue to heal, give advice, uh, to make decisions. Everybody was kind of after Jesus for a while because because he could do things that nobody else could do. In Mark chapter 1, this is talking about the Son of God, right? Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house. He went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and, they, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you, right? Feels like some of my mornings. Um, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else <laughs> to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. So this is a little different take on prayer. And I use this as an example. I mean, Jesus is as an example because it gives us a little different insight into what prayer is about, what prayer does for us, what prayer can do for you. Um, prayer is not simply asking something of God. Yes, it is. A lot of it is asking something of God. That's what we do in prayer. But prayer also is this. Prayer, is actively, prayer actively places us in God's presence, which leads to an, to an abundance of good, like focus, peace, rest, renewal, all of these things. And you notice that when Jesus went to pray, what did he come out of that prayer time with? He understood more clearly once again. He got clarity about his situation. Even though a whole town was looking for him, he could go somewhere else because that was his core mission. And I feel like some of us, because of the busyness of our days, because of all the demands that are going on in life, we're not really sure all the time what our core mission is anymore, what we need to do, what God wants us to do. And one of the most incredible things that can come out of a prayer time with God is that sense of clarity and peace with God. We're going we're gonna to get into more of this and practice it in a little bit. All right. The third example is this. This is our survey of some theological background for why spiritual practices exist and why they are important. This comes from the book of Deuteronomy. So this is old. This is Old Testament. This is centuries old. And this was a command that God gave to his people. And he gave them an instruction about how they should live their lives after he had given them some commands, right? So this is really important stuff. And he says here, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. 
Okay, so maybe you've heard some of this before. But he goes on to say this. Impress them on your children. Talk about them. When you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames or your houses and your, on your gates, on your laptop, on your phone, on an index card in your car. Write them where you are. Talk about them when you get up. When you have a meal with friends and you meet for a small group, talk about the Word of God. The Word of God is described in Scripture in different ways. I mean, it's self-descriptive, but... Um, the interesting thing is it's sometimes described as food. It's nourishment. We need it for our souls. It's also described as light for our lives. So if we need to get rid of darkness, this is where we go. If, if we want wisdom, this is it. The Word of God is that central and precious to the life of every God follower. We need the Word. It nourishes us. It gives us light. It fuels us. It inspires us. This is how we meet and encounter God. And what is given here in Deuteronomy is this. Some instructions to begin thinking and imagining what it's like for you and for me to practice it in practical ways. When you sit at a table, when you have a meal, when you are on a trip and traveling, talk about these commands. They are meant for every day, not just on Sunday, not just on the weekend, not when you just come to a church place. They are meant to guide how you live your life. So this is where it all comes from. These are some of the verses. There's many I could point to. Um, but the idea is this. Throughout Scripture, people had practiced a way with God. The people of God in the Old Testament um, they used to practice prayer time with God maybe like three times a day, morning, noon, and night. Um, they would have regular prayer, regular scripture. And this is not just going to church. This is just how they live their lives. And in our contemporary settings, we need to regain this if we are to live powerfully in the way of the Spirit. So here are some things that we can do practically. So here are just, I'm not going to name all of the ways, but here are just some things to be thinking about. Some of them you already do, right? Daily scripture, faithful Sunday worship, volunteering, giving regularly, spiritual conversations, small groups, reading. All of these things can be spiritual practices. Our faith village pledge, which we've been encouraging you to do, are part of that also. Now, to help us think and imagine what this looks like in real people's lives, I asked, I emailed some people this week, some of my covenant colleagues, um, to just kind of survey them and see what, what they did. And this is fun. So in, instead of asking guest speakers to come, this is what I got, because uh, I couldn't get them to actually come. Um, everybody was busy this week with midwinter. Um, all right. So the first comes from Pastor Dula Prevalon. And Pastor Dula is um, from Dallas. She has served in a church in Dallas for like the last eight years. Uh, she's transitioned from that recently. But I'm going to read to her, to you, just some of the things that she 
has been up to, some of her bio, just really briefly. So Pastor Dula Prevalon is the founder and executive director of Elevate Her International Ministries with a vision to empower women to heal from trauma. She is a pastor and a preacher. She's a counselor and a life coach. She's an entrepreneur and leader. Her professional career in pastoring, counseling, leading, and international ministry spans over 20 years. So all this to say, if you're busy... So was Pastor Dula. Uh, more recently, Dula was on the same Sankofa trip as I was, so she went on that trip with me and Pastor Rodney, so, uh, so we got to talk about all that, so that was good too. Um, and while I was emailing, she actually re- was responding to me from Uganda because she was there uh, meeting with Sudanese refugee women, talking about how to deal with trauma. But she took the time to email me back, so I'm super grateful. Um, so here is her quote. A spiritual practice that helps me connect with God is time in silence, either with a walk in nature or just quiet time to be still, followed with writing in my journal. My journal consists of prayers, reflections from Scripture, questions for God, laments to God, letters from God, and praises. This practice has helped me talk to God and for Him to talk back to me. So our first thing here that we're looking at is silence. Now, I really appreciate this. Um, got an email from LTI, you know, Pastor David's uh, organization uh, this week. Whoops, didn't have it. Um, so the quote was that silence may be the first spiritual discipline or practice that is necessary for a deeper life with God. To get deeper, you need silence. Silence is kind of like the entry point into this. And we're going to do this and practice this um, in just a moment. I'll I'll explain the rest. We're going to do a little bit, a minute of silence later. But uh, to be really honest, the interesting thing about silence is, you know, when Axis began as a church, um, there was another great spiritual leader who was with us. Uh, His name happened to be Dave as well, Dave Wang. And he did a retreat of silence. I don't know, a few of you may have been on that retreat of silence the first time we did it. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't want to do a whole day of silence. Why would I want to do that? I'm like, you know, five minutes, I'm already like fidgeting. You know, it, it's very difficult for me to do that, especially back then. Now I, I love a day of silence. You know, it's like I can't get enough of silence. But back then I said, okay, I'll sign up for the half day. <laughs> there was no half day option, but I made it happen because... Because I'm me, you know, I could just do that. You know, so I said, I'll come for half day, I'll leave after that. But it was really, really good. And I discovered during that half day that God really spoke to me as much as I was trying to pour out my heart to him. Uh, things that I had not talked to God for a long time about. Now, I don't know what it's like for you to practice silence or relative silence because it's not always possible to get complete silence. But it's not the point to get to complete silence it's really becoming aware. When we silence ourselves, we become aware of God's presence. We become aware of our own anxieties and fears, our thoughts and our worries. All of those things come to mind. And when we begin getting in touch with that, we can bring it more fully to God. So we're going to practice that just in a minute. All right, number two comes from Pastor Nancy Breger. And some of you all, our youth know Pastor Nancy because she does camp every year. Uh, okay, so 
Pastor Nancy is the connection pastor at Restoration in Round Rock, Texas. Before that, she was the children's minister. Uh, she's been working there since 2002. She's married to James. She has three children, Emma, uh, who's 21, married to David, a Grant, uh, and Mara. All of them, David included, grew up going to Mid-South Camp. So, yes, we all know Pastor Nancy. So this is her, uh, her practice. It's called examine. Now, some of you have heard it before. Maybe you've heard it and you're not clearly sure what it means. But I'm going to read to you her narrative and her email. And these are some of the key questions that I pulled out of it. The examine of consciousness or daily view is a new spiritual practice that I've been doing it involves taking 10 minutes or so in the evening to review the events of my day, but not in a see what I checked off and didn't check off on my to-do list way, though I'm tempted to do that. It's really about getting quiet and slowly thinking, what did I do this morning and in the midday? How was God present in that, and how did I respond then, what was I doing in the afternoon and evening? How did God show up and speak to me in those parts of my day? What was my response? Then quietly reflecting on all of that, sometimes I also read over my Bible study notes from the morning and see connections and God moving in that as well. The discipline has allowed me to be more grateful and also to be more clearly see God moving in and speaking into my life. I feel closer to Him I feel the Lord's guidance more clearly. I feel more at peace. I journal a few items down on my planner as joyful reminders. The results of this spiritual practice have surprised me. Because I struggle with trying to get it all done. And at the, over, at the end of the day, can often have the feelings of overwhelm and failure. Right? Very honest. So, uh, the peace I have from my morning time with the Lord can slowly sleep away, especially on challenging days. I have felt the Lord's pull to spend special time with Him in the evening, but doing another Bible study or prayer time, which I've tried, seems to feel overwhelming or another thing I have to do in the late evening. Or sometimes she has late evening meetings or groups to go to. But the examine for me is comfortable, it's encouraging, it's relaxing. It's wonderful to spend time with the Lord reviewing and reflecting and seeing that He is my good shepherd who loves me and always with me. Now, I love that because it's so practical. I mean, how many of us have tried to do another spiritual thing at the end of the day only to find your heart's not totally there? I mean, I find myself, you know, depleted of willpower at the end of the day, and I'd rather do something else, you know. I'm going to switch on TV or watch something on YouTube. Um, and this is a gracious welcome into the presence of God. It's an overlooking of your day, asking God, where were you, and how did I respond? And the results of it have been peace for her. All right, the third thing I want us to do today um, look at is this exercise. Now, I talked about this last year around the same time of year. This is an excellent way to work on anxiety and stress. It's called the Palms Up and Palms Down Prayer. And I heard about it first from uh, Pastor Diana Shiflett. She's also in the Covenant. I attended her workshop, and she had these books, um, which I brought today. I mean, book that I brought today. And um, 
And we're going to give it a go and try and practice this prayer, and we're going to do a moment of silence. But let me just explain to you why it's important, why we, why we can do it, and why it works. Um, you know, when we go through life, especially if you are in leadership and you do a lot of things uh, in leadership circles, one of the things that leaders do is we take kind of a first stab at problems. You know what I mean? We take a look at what's ahead uh, on the road ahead. And when you do that in front of other people, uh, you kind of take a first stab at solving issues. You try and right-size problems and you bring them to your team and we work on them together. Now, as a leader, the exposure to that can also bring more stress on you than other people, right? You're kind of expected to take a first crack at it because you're the leader, but you also are at risk for taking more anxiety and more stress because you're seeing what maybe the rest of the team hasn't seen yet. It's worrisome. And then there are the fires that come up as a leader or, you know, maybe in your setting as like whatever you might do, anxiety-provoking problems always come up. So, for instance, uh, Pastor Grace and I were in a meeting here a couple weeks ago, and um, at the end of the meeting, we just prayed with some folks. It was a really precious spiritual moment. And then all of a sudden, the fire alarm goes off. Uh, the burglar alarm goes off. I mean, the whole building was freaking out. The lights were flashing. And then um, someone asked, is this normal? <laughs> I'm like, No. And I had no clue what to do. Really, I had no clue. I don't smell any smoke. I don't think there's smoke. Uh, I went around, went to the alarm panel, turned it off. Ten seconds later, it comes back on. I kept doing it over and over, and I was like, I can't turn this thing off. Um, it's some fault with the electrical, this and that. Um, so I was texting the rest of the staff. and like, I don't know what to do. You know, I've not had this kind of issue before. Uh, I went over next door to the owner's. Uh, next door, if you don't know, the engineering firm. The owners of the engineering firm are the owners of the building. And to my relief, sort of relief, you know, they were going through the same thing. Their lights were all flashing, the fire alarm was going off, and they were quickly trying to unplug the printers from the wall because they didn't want things to, f you know, flip out and lose equipment. And they said, yeah, we don't, we don't. it's going crazy here too. But uh, what ended up happening was one of the owners explained it to me. One of their employees was in the back and saw the whole thing happen. Um, a squirrel was climbing on the lines and it climbed and it hit the transformer and kabloom, the whole thing exploded, freaked the employee out <laughs> who saw this flying squirrel and uh, went inside um, and the building got knocked out of power. So uh, Centerpoint had to come restore building and all these people were driving off, leaving the building. Uh, they did find the squirrel, unfortunately. <laughs> kind of burned out. <laughs> um, crispy. But <laughs> the point of me saying all of this is we go through life and anxiety-provoking things happen. And they're not like things you plan. You don't plan to have a squirrel knock out power to your building for the day. You don't plan on reading the news about coronavirus and getting all freaked out. This happened to me last Sunday because I learned about it through church folks. Uh, and then I started, I'm traveling on a plane to Chicago the next day, right? And so I, I go, maybe I should look at this up. And I started going to YouTube, and this doctor's report is like 30 minutes long. And I thought, oh, this guy must be legit. It's 30 <laughs> minutes long. Um, it's 
long, and he's talking about how these masks are not effective enough because it can go in through your eyes. I'm like, oh, great. Should I get glasses to wear? Because I have glasses. I wear glasses. Um, and then I, I, I had gone to Home Depot the day before for actual home stuff, and the guy there was saying that they were selling out of masks. Some guy just bought like 100 of them. I'm like, yeah, whatever. But um, I was thinking maybe I should go back. Um, Okay, so I do struggle a little bit with anxiety, um, and, uh, and this prayer, the palms up, palms down prayer, is an excellent way for me to deal with some of those things. So for this moment, in the next, we're going to take the next seven, eight minutes to try and practice this, and let me explain to you what we're going to do. So we're going to practice silence, first of all. We're just going to do 60 seconds of silence just like uh, Pastor Dula was talking about. For those of you who've never done this before, it's going to feel kind of like twitchy. You're like, oh, 60 seconds is a long time. For those of you who've done it, it's like barely going to feel like enough, but it's going to feel kind of weighty for 60 seconds of silence. And you're not struggling to pray. You're not trying to do anything. You're just trying to get present to yourself, to God who is here with us. You're just trying to get present And then after that minute's over, we're going to practice palms up and palms down. So what we do in that is you start off with your palms down, and you're imagining yourself releasing your fears, your anxieties to God. Maybe something was said to you. Maybe you said something to someone else. Maybe there's a moment that you regret. You're releasing these things to God. You're good shepherd the one who created you, the person who knows you inside and out. And then you flip your palms up, and you're ready, and you receive, and you pray, God, what do you have for me? What do you want me to know? Maybe it's another moment of silence. Maybe it's just remembering and recalling scripture. Then you can put your palms down again and repeat. Do this again. And maybe something else may come up. I'll lead us with some words from here to help us enter into palms up and palms down. But for now, I encourage you, just close your eyes. We're going to do 60 seconds of silence. Just get present to who you are, and I'll pray for us and invite the Spirit to lead us. Holy Spirit of God, we come before you. And in this 60 seconds of silence, help us to pay attention to who we are before you when you are with us.
invite you to place your palms on your your legs. You can sit up. And as your hands are palms down, think about it as letting go of anything you're holding on to that's distracting you from God. Release anything that's stressful. If something or someone has hurt you, see if you can picture yourself letting it go, allowing it to drop to the floor. Maybe even imagine yourself dropping your anxiety into the hands of Christ at the foot of the cross or at the feet of Jesus sitting on the throne or whatever image works for you. Try to find a clear way to watch those distracting thoughts fall out of your hands and relax as you're dropping them. Remind yourself that Jesus longs to take care of them for you. Let yourself feel him taking these burdens from your hands and acknowledge them as that he can handle them. After you've let go of as much as you can let go, flip your hands over, palms up, and at this moment, let God know you want to receive what he has to offer you and let Jesus share what you, with you what he wants to give you. Open your hands and lift them higher as a way of saying, I want what you have to offer me today. As soon as you find your mind wandering, flip your palms downward and drop the distracting thoughts as fast as you can in order to get your focus back on God. So often we miss what God has as we're distracted ourselves. We're going to spend the next five minutes with palms down and palms up.
Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the gracious invitation to live life with you. And in these short moments, we also are mindful that our lives are distracted, they're busy, they're full of anxiety and fear, they're full of things that we have failed, they're filled with things that are less than what you desire. So we bring it all to you, knowing that you are a gracious and loving God that welcomes us into your light to experience new life. And together we walk as a new humanity, not because of what we've done, but because your spirit is within us. So thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Believe it or not, that was just only about five minutes of prayer. And I know some of us think (laughs) it's difficult to figure out time in the day to do things, but you don't necessarily need a lot. It just needs just need to be a little bit intentional about it. We're going to move into our final thing today of practicing our life with God, and this is the Lord's table. This is the Lord's Supper. And through it and by it, these elements remind us of who we are. They are meant to be a regular spiritual practice for the church. Collectively, we do it together to remember that we belong to a God who has given His Son to die in our place to die for us, that we may be redeemed and we may be renewed, that we may experience new life. And this is the grace of God. I'm going to go to these uh, words for communion, um, and let us read together 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And let's give thanks. Thank you, God. Thank you for the reminders through this bread and this cup that we belong to you, that we have new life in you, that this new covenant means that no matter how broken, no matter how sinful, no matter what failures we've experienced, there is new life in you. And we put our faith and our hope in you, Jesus, to lead us forward into a new day. Thank you for this practice that gives us life. In Christ's name, amen.